Today, I am bringing us the next part of our series um, that we started last week. Does anyone know what the series was that we started last week? <laughs> Ten Commandments. Someone was listening. Brilliant. Christian's like, yes. <laughs> um, do I need to change microphones? Yes, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. It's my hair, everybody. I'm just going to have to cut my hair off, I think. And <laughs> so... <laughs> so um, I'm going to bring us the second part of um, the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment. Um, Christian gave us a really great introduction last week, um, so I'm not going to give you too much background because he's already done that, um, but we're going to go straight into Exodus 20, verse 4 to 6, and it says this, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So you'll realize straight away that I got given the verse with all the tricky bits in. <laughs> and I'm not going to ignore those tricky bits. Maybe they may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's really important that we do touch on them. But I'm not going to spend my whole sermon on them. I'm just going to touch on them now a little bit. And then I really encourage you to go off in your own time and further explore some of these uh, tricky bits, um, maybe with your connect groups in the week. Um, I don't have the time in this sermon to cover um, these quite big um, statements here. So, um, I'll firstly touch on the fact that it says God is a jealous God um, because a lot of people um, can take that as God is an abusive God or controlling God when they hear jealous. Um, but I don't think that is what God wants us to understand it as. I don't think that's what it's meant to be understood as. Um, and I think the easiest way of thinking about this is to think about a marriage. So I have by choice, um, chosen to marry my husband, <laughs> and I have entered into a legal contract with my husband that I will be faithful for him. I know, look, I, I want to say they're, they're supporting him in that they're, they're saying he's lucky, but I think they're actually um, commiserating with him over that. Um, <laughs> but I have promised to be faithful to my husband out of my own love for him and from out of my um my will my free will to do that and um, if I then were to go to someone else for my emotional support or for a physical relationship or to meet my needs then it would be really understandable that my husband would probably be quite hurt and jealous not because I've broken my legal contract with him, but because he loves me and he wants me, uh, he wants to be the one that I turn to in those situations. He wants to be the one to provide that for me. And in the same way, God loves us and he wants to be the one that provides those things for us. He doesn't want us to turn away from him and go to other things to meet our needs. 
He wants us to go to him. The second really tricky bit um, is this bit where it says, the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. A lot of people might interpret that as God's going to punish the children for the parents' sins. Um, But if we look at the larger context of the Bible, um, it's clear that's not what's meant here. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, it says that children are not to be put to death for their father's sins. Each person's put to death for their own sin in the Old Testament. Um, So it's not about punishment, and it's definitely not about children receiving punishment for what the father did or for the mother did. And and I actually think the CSB translation is really helpful in this because it talks about the consequences of the sin. So while God is not punishing people um, for their parents' sins, there are inevitably consequences to either living faithfully or living sinfully. And we see this now in psychology. We see like when there's abuse in an older, older generation, sometimes that can impact patterns of behavior in a younger generation. We can see how our neglect and misuse of creation has an impact, a very real impact for the further generations. So what we do has an impact on the further generations. Now, I'm going to leave it there. I have tried to give you some sort of thinking on that. That was my interpretation. It's okay if you have different interpretations. But as I said, I really encourage you, don't ignore the tricky bits of the passage. Um, Go away, find out for yourself, discuss them further, talk about them in your connect groups. I'm now going to move on to the main point of my sermon, and that is the first part of this passage where it says, do not worship idols. And idols in our day might seem like a really kind of weird concept. It's not something we hear of a lot. Um, So I think in order to understand why God doesn't want them to worship idols, we need to take it back to the culture and the context of the time in order to understand that. So I've named my sermon today, The Issue with Idols. And I think there are three things in the culture and context of the time that stand out as the reason that God does not want the Israelites to worship idols. The first one is that there were rulers and kings in the time that would make themselves into gods. They would make themselves idols. And they would do that so that people would worship them and bow to them and that they would be the most important. The second thing is that the the people of the time would try and create images of God. They wanted something tangible that they could worship and see. And the third thing is that the, um, the statues were made of gold and silver and expensive metals, so they promoted wealth as something to be worshipped. So those are the three things that I think idols represented at the time. And it's easy to see how that could have got in the way of the Israelites' relationship with God. But we don't live in that time. Times have changed. And maybe that seems a bit out there for us. Um, It's not something we tend to do, make 
statues of, of God anymore. Um, but I still think these things are relevant to us today in a different way. So I'm going to look at each one and how they actually apply to us now in our culture. So firstly, the rulers and the kings would make themselves God, uh, gods um, in order to be worshipped. Now, who here has watched or used to watch or has heard of Pop Idol? Now, those of you who are far too young or far too cool to have heard of Pop Idol, Pop Idol was the old version of the X Factor. It was basically a program where all these people would come on and they would sing and they would perform and they'd want to be the best singer or performer in order to become the next pop idol. So the next big thing in the music industry. And, you know, people would love them if they weren't. And teenagers would have posters of them and, and cry when they went onto the stage. And I have a confession to make. I was one of said teenagers. Um, you might recognize the guy on the screen as Gareth Gates. Now, I was a little bit in love with Gareth Gates. And I'm talking posters, T-shirts with his face on, my Nokia 3310 cover, my phone tune, one of those beepy ones. Um, <laughs> everything was Gareth Gates. <laughs> but you see, oh, sorry, and I, I forget to mention, actually, Gareth Gates was a Christian when he went on to, onto the show, so I was convinced I was also going to marry him one day. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, God had other plans. <laughs> but you see, Gareth Gates made himself into this idol um, to be worshipped by teenagers. Yeah. And maybe, unlike me, you weren't stupid enough to uh, worship a pop star when you were 10 years old. But in our culture today, it's really easy to worship people for all kinds of things now. So it's not just pop stars. Um, our culture tells us to have a focus on self-love, what makes you happy. It's all about putting our needs before others. And our culture tells us to be the perfect body type, the perfect parent, to have the perfect house. And you know what? There are people that you can follow on social media that have got all these things sorted. You know, they have the perfect house, they have the perfect health, and you follow them to try and become like them. And then we can also make ourselves into idols now. All we have to do is have a unique selling point. And people will follow us. And people will want to be like us. We can make a social media account and become famous like that. So actually, it's no longer just rulers and kings that attempted to make themselves into idols. But actually, everybody now has this temptation that you can make yourself into an idol. You can make yourself into somebody that people want to follow. But it's not something God wants for us. That's not the way God designed his kingdom. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches us 
that God's kingdom, uh, in God's kingdom, you don't get to be the first by glorifying yourself and making yourself important. In fact, he says, if you want to be first, you've got to be a servant. In Mark 9, verse 35, it says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And I think the main point of this is God's kingdom is not about rank. It's not about making yourself important. It's not about making yourself as equal to God as you can. But it, um, it's about giving God everything that you have. Jesus tells us that our greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, we cannot love God with all our hearts and love ourselves with all our hearts. It's one or the other. So while I'm not saying, like, I think having confidence in God, who God um, has made you to be is great, but actually when it becomes about self-glorification, about making ourselves important, that's when we're, we're going off track. So the first issue with idols was this idea of self-glorification trying to make ourselves important and godlike or following other people and worshiping people that do the same secondly statues were created to try and put both our god and false gods into a tangible image they wanted something that you could see and worship and understand but the issue is that God does not reveal himself in this concrete, visible form. So anything that they or we could make to try and, and give us an image of God, it would never come close to the real God. And maybe we don't try and make statues anymore of God but I definitely think we can create our own versions of God. Sometimes we can try and take the bits of God that we want and want to ignore the rest. Sometimes we just take the bits of God we can understand. Maybe we want to just fit God into our life the way it is, um, where we don't have to be challenged or changed. So that can be us creating our own image of God. But you know, we're missing out if we do that because God is so much bigger than we can ever fathom. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As some of you may know, I've been applying for jobs lately. Um, and as my CV was about 10 years out of date, I've had to update my CV. And you know, it's really difficult to get everything you want an employer to know about you on two to three pieces of paper because you just can't fit all of you onto paper. And I guess this is why you have interviews and people get to, to meet you in person, but even then, you're just answering specific questions and spending a really small amount of time with those people. 
they're not going to get to know who you really are. It's not until you actually join the team and spend every day with these people that they start to learn anything about you, really. And even then, there's those bits that you hold back, isn't there? There's those bits that there's always more to know about that person. And if that's the way it is with humans, then how much more is there to know about God? How much more can we learn about him? And the thing is, if we try and fit God into this box of our understanding and the way that we want him to be, we're basically getting this CV version of God. We're just getting the few things about him. And we're not really getting to know who he is. The only way we get to know who God is, is through spending time with him. And even then, we're never going to be able to get to know everything there is about God. There's always more and more and more to know. So the second issue with idols is it puts God in this box that he just doesn't fit in. The final issue with idols was that they were associated with wealth. So you could either show your wealth through creating idols of silver and gold and expensive metals, or you could get rich by going and stealing somebody else's valuable idols. So having idols were all about either having money, getting money, or showing money off. And then worshipping money. And I think this is really easy to relate to because it's easy to want to be wealthy. It's easy to think that having more money will make us feel happier, will make our lives better. It's easy to want more and more money and to get into that trap of thinking that, oh, we'll just get a bit more, we'll get a bit more. We'll be able to do this if we get a bit more. And we can show off our money. You know, we might not have gold statues anymore, but we definitely have designer clothes, and we definitely have nice cars and nice houses and nice things that we can purchase and show off our money. But as Christian spoke about last week, Jesus warns us against this longing to be wealthy because we cannot serve both God and money. Luke 16 verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus actually goes as far as to say that the power of wealth and being drawn into that power of wealth and the longing for wealth can get in the way of us hearing from God. In Mark 4 verse 19, it says that the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So if we're wanting to hear from God, we're wanting him to come and change us, and we're wanting to be fruitful in what he's called us to do and say, but we're chasing money, we're chasing wealth, then we're going to really struggle. 
this false idea that money leads to more happiness, this deceitfulness of wealth. This deceitfulness takes hold of God's word and chokes it and stops it from producing fruit. So it's really clear, like we cannot serve money. But what does God tell us to do? He says, actually, don't worry about money. He says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Seek first our relationship with him and he will give us what we need. And I know that's really hard if there is no money and you're not being able to meet your basic necessities. And please, if that is you, um, please do come and talk to one of us um, and see how the church can help you in that situation. Um, I'm not speaking about going without necessities like food, water, and things like that. I'm talking about not striving to get more and more money. So the third issue with idols is that they encourage us to chase after wealth. So to conclude, the issue with idols is that they give us the same status as God. They put God into what we think is a tangible image that humans can understand, and they promote wealth. But we know, looking back, that the Israelites failed to meet this commandment. They couldn't do it. In fact, one of the first things they do when they, um, when they get these commandments is they go and make a golden calf. You know, humanity isn't able to follow these commandments. And the great thing is that that's why God sent Jesus. You know, Jesus took all the ways that we fell short, all the ways that we couldn't meet the way God wanted us to live. He took all our wrongdoing on himself so that we could just have a relationship with God. And now, instead of striving to meet these things, instead of trying to do this in our own will, we can now be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can be open to the Holy Spirit to allow us to change our hearts and to be able to live this life that God has called us to live. So maybe um, something here is related to you. Maybe there's something that um, I've mentioned about this idol worship that, that hits close to home, that's something that you feel um, maybe you've fallen into that trap of. And we're just going to take some time to allow God to work on those things, to just invite his Holy Spirit in today to change us. We can't do it. We can't do this in our own power, but God can do it. So let's just take some time. We're going to close our eyes um, and just focus on God for a couple of minutes. I just really encourage you to listen to God. What is God talking to you about today? Is there anything you're feeling challenged about today? Is there anything we need to give over to God? Do we need to say sorry to God for anything today?
Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and speak in, speak to us and work in us today. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're ready to take that next step in inviting him into your life and believing that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to take all sin and all shame upon himself to make a way that we can live in an eternal relationship with him. We're going to pray a prayer in a second, and I encourage you to join me in praying that prayer. Or maybe you feel like you've been distant from God, that you've walked away from him, and you want today to be the day you give your life back to him afresh. Then this prayer is for you to join in with too. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me for all my wrongdoing and receive me as your child. I commit my life to you now. Come into my heart and make your place in my life. 